0: And I think that's what I love about being in a restaurant, just that feeling of knowing that someone who wants to be cooking is cooking for me and someone who, you know, knows about wine can, you know, teach us a thing or two or it's nice to kind of experience that. Like it's such a, it's actually such a privilege to be able to do that, I think as well.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Food is something every human connects with. To break bread and share food at a communal table allows us to break down political and cultural barriers, social and religious differences, and allows us to celebrate our similarities. We all know what delicious feels like, even though it may be represented so differently in all the glorious cultures and cuisines in the world. In some sense, food has no borders, And at a time when everyone is impacted by the pandemic, food has a unique power of making us all feel united. Sharon Saloum is the owner of Almond Bar and Three Tomatoes. Sharon, how are you going?
0: Hey Anthony, how are you? Good, thank you.
1: I'm good. Thanks for joining us. How are you feeling at the moment? It's been a pretty wild couple of months
0: um well you know you, i think you wake up most mornings and you don't know whether to laugh or to cry so it's <laughs> it's really strange
1: <laughs> now, now we touched base right at the beginning of this pandemic and and i sent you an email and sort of to find out um how the hell you're going to adapt to this lockdown and i think you started with the sort of whole food packs um that probably feels like a couple of years ago. What, 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 what was the initial thing that you did when the, the shutdown happened?
0: Well, look, it's kind um, cut a long story short. My my sister was the brilliance behind it all. Um, but because basically, I was on my first holiday with my partner for of, you know for three years, as in like we hadn't had a holiday together in the last three years, and so we decided to go to Mexico and Cuba at the beginning of March, um, and so came home a few days early um, and had to self-isolate at home for a couple of weeks. So in that time, um, basically remotely, I was trying to support my sister who had just changed the business model for both places very quickly and I was just kind of trying to support, obviously remotely um, in that, you know, doing stuff like ordering, doing like menu ideas, et cetera, et cetera. And, And, you know, she essentially kind of, um, went around and, and changed the way we serviced everything everyone you know er, you know all, all that we did had completely changed literally almost overnight so um yeah we um we had to we had to focus on takeaway obviously at the restaurant um, and same at the cafe yeah yeah and that's where it kind of all began um yeah
1: well i just want to touch back on the fact that you know, you're in Mexico and you had to come back early and isolate. Mm. What, what was that experience like? How did you feel?
0: Oh, look, anxious as all hell. I mean, I, I have bouts of anxiety anyway. It's a, it's a bit of a thing that I go through um, from time to time. Um, you know, so my anxiety really sparked up pretty badly while we were over there. Uh, people look at you. Uh, they know you're a foreigner. Um, and so to them, you're the carrier of the virus. So you're kind of like, there's no point in being away from home. Um, you know, it's just not fun. So we, we were in Cuba at the time that it had just started in Cuba. And, you know, we really felt for the locals there, it kind of like um, you could feel the panic in the air. And, um, you know, it just wasn't nice to kind of be around that. Uh, yeah, so we we kind of then... Did the trek home. And so, my poor sister, because there's no phone lines in Cuba, you can't really ring anywhere unless it's through the internet. Um, I had to basically do messenger phone calls with her, and she organized our flights home. And, you know, so she's changing two business models and trying to rescue us (laughs) from overseas. So, at the same time, it was not a good time for her. And yeah, yeah. But she was unbelievable.
1: So, Tell us about those couple of months when the the industry opened up again. Uh, what's it been like? You know, almond bar is in the centre of it's in Darlinghurst. You know, little 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 restaurant, and you've got the cafe Three Tomatoes um, out in the suburbs as well. Um, what, what was that period like for those two very different businesses?
0: Um, look, there, yeah, it was all about area, and that was you know it was very obvious uh, in that in that. We could see that in Darlinghurst, you know, where it's such a destination um, location for people to dine, you know, the whole area just died completely, Um, you know, with the lockout laws that already kind of half killed the area, but this pandemic just completely just killed the area. So we had no choice in the end, but to kind of, we had, we're very blessed with the amazing landlord um, because we've been there for 13 years and he, you know, was great and gave us the rent off for a couple of months. So we were able to close um, for a couple of months um, until we kind of could could have dine-in again. So we, we had no choice because the takeaway was just not – it just wasn't sustainable for us at all and it, we were, you know, spending far too much trying to keep it going. Um, so that kind of wasn't very good for us. It was a really hard decision to make but we knew, you know, we just couldn't do it any longer. Um, the cafe was – at the complete opposite end of the spectrum because we were in a suburban area. Everyone was home. Kids were home. Um, you know, we were pretty flat out over there. Um, you know, we did a massive focus and we still do on take-home mills. Uh, you know, all our businesses obviously takeaway at the time. So, we had a pretty, we've got a pretty great setup over there. We've got a bifold window um, anyway with a bench top. So, that kind of was really helpful. So we just opened that up and that's still going till now. We do have dine-in, obviously limited, um, but, you know, a lot of our customers are still only wanting to do takeaway and that's fine. So we haven't kind of taken that away. We've continued that from the outside window. Um, You know, we've got a fridge and, a, you know, kind of like a pantry section outside the cafe and, you know, just lots of stuff. It's funny, I've slowly been taking almond bar stuff to Three Tomatoes as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's slowly, you know, I'm selling flavoured almonds over there, and, you know, all these, you know, like middle eastern and dishes and stuff. So it's been, you know, kind of good in that way that we've been able to kind of mix it up a bit.
1: What's your thoughts about Almond Bar? You know, it's a, a, an amazing place and you're a wonderful cook And but it's, it's hard to make money in the city with such a small site. You know, how, how are you feeling about Almond Bar at the moment with the la- landscape?
0: Um, look, we, we, when we made the decision to open, we kind of thought, you know, we've got to be smart about it. And our decision was, is that we would open for three nights only Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which is what we've been doing for the last few weeks. We, we reopened about five weeks ago. Um, and I think that's probably been the, the smarter thing to do. Just kind of start on that and then see how it goes. Um, you know, already though, we've noticed a shift because of outbreaks in Melbourne, because of our, you know, like small outbreaks here or whatever, um, you know, and unfortunately parts of the media are kind of saying, hey, avoid restaurants and gyms and, you know, um, we've already noticed that people are starting to make cancellations, um, you know, and look, and I understand, I get it, you know, completely, but unfortunately it's our business, it's our, it's our lifeline and it, it's our baby, Armabar is our baby and it, always will be I think you know and we're just trying to really keep it going more than anything else because it has been such a major part of our lives for such a long time you know we don't want ultimately we don't want the pandemic to be the reason we go down you know (laughs) we want it to be our choice not not a forced hand so you know we're trying to basically do the best we can.
1: Well Almond Bar has been a part of so many people's lives it's it's what you've gifted Sydney is a extraordinary little restaurant can you tell us a bit about the history and how it started uh
0: yeah so we um opened in 2007 my sister and I kind of always knew we'd we'd do some kind of food business together and then we thought you know what better food to share with everyone than the food that we grew up with and so it kind of started from there our parents have always been heavily involved as well um so mum does a lot of prep with me and um, a cousin of mine, and dad was my you know market man, and he'd go and you know get our veggies and he's our delivery guy, so he'd like bring stock in for me as well and um you know, and we yeah we named it almond bar for over you know our love because of the, our love for almonds, essentially well you know most roasted nuts in general because they 're such a big part of our culture to serve people when they come to your home so we found it quite fitting to call it arm and bar because that's what we would serve to our customers um, when they would come to the restaurant. You know, it's kind of like a world welcome as well. So yeah, that's 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 13 years ago, and it's still going.
1: <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your food for people out there that may not have had Syrian food? And I know that you also have a kind of modern interpretation in some ways as well. Um, but I'd love to hear some some of your speciality dishes and, and what's involved with them.
0: Yeah, so Syrian food is, um, you know, I might have a slightly biased opinion, but I think it's one of the best foods in, in the Middle East area. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd probably get killed by a lot of people saying that. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it's very different. We have such a, I guess in Syria we have such a vast array of different kind of cultures or minority groups that have kind of settled in Syria over the years you know historically you know there's a lot of Armenian Syrians there's a lot of Kurdish Syrians there's you know and you hear of all these minority groups unfortunately through all the war that's been going on Um, but yeah all of those groups have actually played a part in our food um, and our culture and you know the whole hospitality kind of industry in general um, in that we I think what's different with Syrian food, a lot of people ask you know what's the difference between Syrian food and, say, Lebanese food or et cetera? Um, and I always tell them, you know, it's the spices we use. We're very heavy-handed with using spices um, in our food. So our food isn't necessarily spicy, uh, so it's not that chilli element. It's more that it's, you know, we, we love to use different kinds of spices in different dishes. You know, at work I always have this issue with the poor guys at work who are like, you know, is this enough, and I'm like, is this enough spice in this dish? I'm like, no, it's not, you know, and they just watch me and they can't believe how much <laughs> kind of spices I put in into things, um, you know, and, and so we're pretty big on that. So it's really like just really big flavours, you know, anything that's kind of, we don't like simplicity in food. It's got to be quite full on. So it's got to be not so much rich, but just a lot of flavour. There has to be a lot of flavour, very well seasoned food. So you know, to probably the average palate can sometimes be a little bit salty. So, you know, we love salty olives. We love salty cheeses. We love, you know, generally just kind of like saltier foods and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think with Syrian dishes in particular, um, one, that's, one that's probably a big issue of contention as well in the region is kibbeh. Um, so it could be, I think, er, er, I personally believe could be originated in Syria. Again, someone's going to kill me for saying that, but, <laughs> but my, my kind of backing information to that is the fact that, you know, Aleppo in Syria has about 20 different types of could be. So there's many varieties, um, of, of So they're all, you know, there's meat based and vegetable based and, you know, such a great vegan option as well for people to, you know, so it's great in that. That sense, is um, one again many different types of them, um, and shapes and sizes and the way they're cooked and etc. as well. Um, my favourite ultimate Arab dish is though uh, is matlubi blahmi. So it's 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 called matlubi, which means upside down, and and blahmi means in in meat essentially. So our our translations for dishes are very literal and don't sound very appealing when you actually say them in English. <laughs> uh, but it's basically upside down lamb dish. That's what it's it's kind of called in, in Arabic. Um, and all it is is, is just some rice. Uh, it's basically rice, fried eggplant and lamb that's been cooked for a really long time in a stock. So you then use that stock to cook the whole dish together. So you pretty much cook your lamb, you put your rice and, and fried eggplant layered in a, in a big kind of um, pot. Uh, And then you kind of spread that lamb around and then you pour your stock on top and you cook that all together. then you turn it out upside down and you throw, you know, heaps of fried nuts. And I must mention that the nuts need to be fried in ghee. So it's normally almonds and pine nuts as well. So it's a really beautiful dish. And then you serve it with a good dollop of yogurt. So that's my favourite Middle Eastern dish, I think, to this day. And I just can't get enough of it. Just the textures and the flavours and, again, spices that are used in it are amazing. But... You know, um, fattoush is my favorite salad as well. You know, again for me, it's all about texture. You know, that crunchy, that crispy bread. Um, you know, the citrus as well, and uh you know, sumac and and stuff, and just that you know array of color. It's such a beautiful salad, too. But you know, I could go. Do you want me to keep going in? Eh? Because there's a lot, <laughs> there's many, <laughs> there's many you many out me there. Hungry. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> well,
1: ha- okay, so. You and your sister, you know, weren't always in hospitality. Like, how does a rehabilitation counsellor and a maths teacher end up opening a restaurant?
0: Sounds like the start of a joke, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> Well, yeah, the maths teacher is, is, all, is, thank God, very well business-minded. So, that that's good. You know, it's been great that she's so good with numbers, obviously. And, um, you know, because it was a clear-cut yeah, kind of splitting of, of the roles so I loved cooking um, I always you know just really enjoyed cooking for me cooking has always been a, a stress relief um, even as a, as a child you know I'd just bake stuff all the time and just you know try and cook things and introduce stuff to my mom, who you know never cooked anything that wasn't Middle Eastern so you know like I'd You know, like I got really fancy and taught her how to make honey soy chicken wings once and that was like, you know, the be-all and end-all at the time. Um, In my defence, I was probably about 12 at the time. I was like, you know, 12 or 15 or something, really young, Um, you know, and that was big for us to be eating that at home because we never ate anything that wasn't Middle Eastern, you know, because my mom was the main cook and so it was, that's how I kind of got into cooking and then would have part-time jobs in hospitality and stuff And, and, yeah, and my sister and I just kind of It just works for us, you know. She's the paperwork business person and it's so funny, you know, a lot of people kind of look at me and go, oh, you're always at work and, you know, where's Carol and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, I'd much rather have my job any day over her job because I don't want to be sitting there crunching numbers and working things out and, yeah, dealing with that stuff. So it works for us. So that's how it kind of happened.
1: What's some of the challenges involved with running a business with a sibling?
0: Um, I laugh because I, I think of the early days. Um, we we used to fight all the time, all the time. You know, just it was really hard because we went from having such separate lives as young adults to then, you know, spending every day together, um, you know, spending a lot of time together. We, we, we went from seeing each other maybe a few times a week to, you know, seven days um, and that was really hard. So we'd kind of really uh, clash quite a bit in the beginning. Um, now you, yeah, we, we do nothing but laugh, you know, and it's probably been like, I think the first probably four or five years were quite tough, um, you know, and, and adjusting more so maybe the first couple of years. Um, but I'd say over the last, you know, at least seven, eight, nine years, we're, we're like best mates, you know, um, we laugh a lot together. We spend lot still try and spend lots of time together. Um, you know, we try and do a lunch here and there, um, Carol and I together, so we could just catch up on life because everything's very work, work, um, you know. But, yeah, we're, we're constantly, the only thing we fight about now is telling each other that we need to have a day off um, or take time off or, you know, don't come in or, you know, go home early or you know, they, this is what we argue about now, whereas, you know, at first it was just we are kind of a bit all over the place and trying to establish, you know, our footing with it all.
1: A little earlier you men- mentioned that you um, struggle with anxiety in different situations. H- how have you coped through the last couple of months with the anxiety of the pandemic and the impact on, on your business?
0: Oh, man. It's – look, it's – um the 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 beginning of it was was really rough, you know, being in that isolation at home, thank God it was at home, not in a hotel, but um uh, being in that isolation at home for two weeks that was really hard i I spent a lot of time just staring out the window um uh, feeling absolutely helpless um you know, and generally i you know I have a lot of support um you know because i have have had some pretty bad bouts of anxiety previously about three years ago. I had like a really rough period for a few months. Um, You know, I kind of have learnt uh, certain kind of strategies on how to deal with things. So, you know, it's more about trying to bring yourself back down to earth. I try, you know, occasionally try and meditate if that helps. Um, I do see a therapist from time to time if it gets really out of hand. Um, you know, I do have a really strong support network. I have a great partner, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I have lots kind of available to me and I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that sense. You know, I think the other thing is that, you know, that everyone's going through the same kind of thing, whether we talk about it or not, you can see it, you know, with our customers, when you do talk to them, you can kind of feel the anxiety that they feel, you know, as well. I think anxiety is a very energy-based kind of feeling too and I think you can you sometimes get that energy from people and, you know, you have to kind of respect that and understand that we're all kind of going through those moments and although, you know, we might be laughing, you know, one minute you might have, you know, a really crappy thought the next minute and that's how it kind of works and that's – so I go, you know, through those phases but I think a lot of people are too. So, you know, you just have to keep going and try and be as rational and as safe as possible.
1: I know you find a lot of solace in food and um, I commend you on your brevity in describing dishes back then, because I know that we could probably talk for hours with your favourite meal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what is it that you love about cooking? You, you know, briefly mentioned earlier that you you know, you would rather that job than your sister's job. What is it that you love about it?
0: There's just there's, – there's a lot to love about cooking, you know. Like it's funny because and, – and I think everyone loves food. Everyone loves food, you know, and you almost feel like you've got this special job in so many ways, you know. When you go to a friend's house or you visit people or people talk to you and stuff – you know, nine times out of 10, people are talking about food, you know, all conversations that go on around us, a lot of the time involve some kind of food or food experience or things like that. And I think what I love about working with food and, and being blessed to have, you know, to be able to work with food and food that is so beautiful as well. You know, we're so lucky in, in Australia to have such like amazing ingredients and access to so many things, um, you know for me, it's, it's about making people happy. It really is. It makes me happy to know that people are happy. And although I find it really hard to kind of accept compliments and stuff like that, i still, you know, deep down, of course, you're, you're touched by someone's compliment, you know, you really feel it. And, you know, and, and to know that I created that experience or that happiness, even for an hour or whatever it was, or the 10 minutes it took them to eat a dish, you know, that means a lot to me um you know and that that's what makes me happy to know that i created was able to create something that that created happiness for someone else as well while also you know it makes me happy to to do it you know it's just it's fun you're in your own world you you basically you kind of shut off from everything and everyone when you cook i find um and that is kind of a nice feeling to be able to have
1: has the offering changed at Arwen Bar given the limited days that you're open now and, and has this experience changed what you think you might do with it moving forward?
0: Um, yeah, look, it's – yeah, we've we've definitely – we kind of took our time a little bit with reopening, um, you know, because we kind of wanted to get it right, um, you know, as or as right as possible given the way things have changed. Uh, so we kind of said, you know, we, we're – just got to be organized and so what we did was we agreed on um, two set menus so which is what we do at the moment Uh, so it's changed completely we're not doing the a la carte unless it's takeaway um you know and obviously that creates for a minimum spend it creates for what like lack of wastage essentially so we don't have the wastage we know how much we need and for how many people etc you know so there's no concern over having an excessive amount of stock. So we reduced the menu so we wouldn't have this kind of bigger menu um, to worry about as well. Um, And, you know, for us, it was really important to make sure that we had kind of like a a mixed set menu that had, you know, seafood, meats and and vegetarian, but we had to have a vegan option, a vegan set menu for us because we have quite a big vegan following in Darlinghurst. Um, So that was really important for us to do as well so that's how we've kind of created those two menus and and they seem to be working quite well uh, does has it made us consider things for the future yeah of course you know like how you know how we would kind of do service and right now everything's so touch and go you don't know what what's going to happen in the next week let alone the next year you know and like anything can change and restrictions could change and stuff like that. so we are kind of just going with it you know my sister and I've agreed to just you know, go with whatever happens, make the changes when they come, you know, and, and, and do our best and, and that's all we can do. You know, ideally, obviously, you know, we'd like to keep going the way we are as long as it covers our costs and keeps us going, then we'd we'd like to do that, um, you know, because it seems to be working for us and for our customers at this stage as well.
1: Your food and certainly Syrian cuisine is best put in the middle of the table and shared by everyone. Um but obviously, there's restrictions and uh, and different thoughts in society because of the pandemic. You know, what's it like being tra- managing uh, guests during this period and the restrictions, and also the plating of your food? Is that, has that altered at all?
0: Um, we uh, look. I was always OCD clean. But now we're like – because we have a a mother (laughs) who taught us to be very OCD clean um, in in a traditional Arab household. But, you know, now it's like tenfold worse. So we're really conscious (laughs) of everything, Um, you know, not just what we're doing but what our staff are doing, what our customers are doing. You know, we're just very aware of, you know, taking everyone into account because, you you know, you definitely – we still kind of have it as sharing, um, food, but you know, we also kind of, everything's a bit more clear cut. So if we can try and do dishes that are, you know, a piece per person, things like that, then we try and do that. But obviously that's not always, you know, um, possible. And so there's, you know, we have rice dishes as well and salads and, and stuff. So, um, you know, yeah, we're we're trying to kind of, yeah, take into account with, you know, the amount of touching of things, et cetera, you know, so we're still hanging on to the shared stuff. Um, But like I said, it's, yeah, it's a bit more limited um, with how we kind of serve things. You know, we're definitely um, aware of, you know, the space and making it safe and comfortable for everyone. Um, And so what we do is with our, customers we kind of you know are very conscious of how they feel making sure that we're following you know regulations and restrictions and and whatever as much as you know as we need to but like moving forward and and constantly as well again it's probably my anxiety that (laughs) is good in this kind of situation because I'm like nah we've got to do this and that we've got to do that and you know this customer can't be standing and this customer like you know so you've got to be um a bit onto it like that I think, um, and I think people feel safer in that way as well, knowing that they can come in. You know, the amount of stories we hear of customers that that come into us um, and say, "Oh, I went to such and such," you know, and they weren't social distancing, and you know, there were so many people, and you know, people talk, you know, and so that, and they won't go back to that place, you know. So, as much as that place thinks, "Hey, it's okay, it's working for us," you know customers do talk to one another they talk to us they talk to their other you know local cafe or whatever as well and and they you know explain their experiences and how you know they feel unsafe here but they felt safe there and you know and this is something we've got to take into account and at the end of the day like our parents are in their 70s like we want to be safe for them as well so you know and our staff and and everyone that walks through our doors.
1: You love cooking for people and sort of delivering an abundance of colors and flavors and textures, but what about when you're in restaurants what What do you love about uh, being in a restaurant yourself
0: it's the whole experience you know to you, it's from the moment you walk in you know it's from that that point you know i think you the energy the ambience of a place, you know the staff like just everything about it the menu. Uh, My partner's often the one that chooses the wine. So I'm like straight onto the food, Um, you know, just the flavors, like appreciating the work that goes into it, you know, is, it's such an experience being in a restaurant. I think it's not just about necessity of eating, you know, it's, it's an experience. And I think, you know, that appreciation for that experience, you know, and just the minor details in things really goes a long way. Uh, with everything and and I think that's what I love about being in a restaurant you know that just that feeling of knowing that you know someone's cooked for me you know someone who wants to be cooking is cooking for me and someone who you know knows about wine can you know teach us a thing or two or you know it's nice to kind of experience that like it's such it's actually such a privilege to be able to do that I think as well.
1: Do you think restaurants will change moving forward and there'll be a, a greater appreciation for um you know more unique small operators like you?
0: Um look I, I think yes I think um I think there will be a change. I think a lot of changes will occur by the operators. Um I think if this pandemic has has definitely brought out a positive for a lot of small business operators. It's that we all need to slow down um, and we probably realise how exhausted we are when we were forced to slow down, um, you know, and in, in that case, when once you do that, you know, I think the way we operate our businesses have will definitely change because you'll be more relaxed. You'll be, you know, you'll have that energy, that renewed energy in you to be able to, you know, Put more love into your into your service, into your food. You know, if you're exhausted and you're basically flogging yourself to get through, you know, six or seven nights a week of service, then you know that's proof that you know something's got to give, and it does eventually. But you know, I think definitely moving forward, this this has definitely taught a lot of a lot of small business owners um, about probably what's important as well, um, and that we need to remember to put ourselves. First, sometimes at least. To
1: what would you say is important to you moving forward, having gone through this experience?
0: I think what's what's probably um, taught me, what, what I've learned, sorry, from this experience is getting more sleep. That's probably been one of the biggest <laughs> one of the biggest things. Um, it was really strange going from working nights, you know, mostly nights for thirteen years, to suddenly stopping. And not doing any of that for two and a half months was a real hit to my body. Um, I think, you know, it was really strange to spend so much time with my partner. We've been together for six years and then suddenly we were doing normal stuff at home together, like having dinner, you know, every night at home and, and doing that kind of thing. So we had spent more time together in two and a half months than we had in six years. So, uh, you know, definitely the importance of, of well-being, you know, for, for yourself and, and your relationship and, and your family and, um, you know, and that you need to prioritize that a little bit more and and that way you can give more to your business and to your work and to your customers and to your staff.
1: As we move forward and restrictions ease and, you know, the restaurant's a thriving hub again of, of Darlinghurst, you know, what, what should people eat when they come in?
0: Uh, oh, that's a tough one, Anthony. Especially when I'm trying to change the menu every few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. uh there's there's a, there's a couple of dishes. There's um one that I've I've kind of just created on a very quick whim. So I'm realised as well that I create menus much better when I'm under pressure and do it do them last minute. Um, so it's a it's a dish that's basically some um fried crushed potatoes and on top we just put some really thinly sliced beef rump Um, but the sauce that I put on top of it is called samkihara so it's actually it's a samkihara sauce samkihara means chili fish so traditionally it's a baked it's this sauce is used to bake a whole fish and you're supposed to kind of just smother it all along the the top of the fish inside the fish and then you bake the fish whole Um, and it's a sauce that's made up of tahini lots of lemon juice, I do dry coriander, fresh coriander, chilli and walnuts and garlic. So it's a really full-on sauce but it's really beautiful and it just actually works really well with most things but I've found it worked really well with the beef and so that's been really popular um, over there. And and the other one is probably some small – the vegan pick I think is probably a um, – a little play on a, on a traditional dish that I never used to like as a child. So it's, um, coarse bergol. Um, so the cracked wheat with, um, lentils. So we use some French lentils in that. And traditionally it's just those two ingredients. So it's literally just cooked bergol and and lentils. Um, and we do some burnt onion on top. Uh, but this time I've added some roasted, uh, flat mushrooms through it. Lots of kind of like Um, ground whole spices through there as well and we still do the burnt onions on top so that's a really nice kind of vegan dish too
1: wow um yeah gee i miss almond bar um yeah (laughs) (laughs) well it's been so good to talk to you today um you're a bloody legend and um long live almond bar hopefully i get to eat there again soon
0: i hope so too
1: Keep in touch and um, we'll catch up down the track and see how things are going and hopefully all things are opened up and uh, it's blossoming like it has for the last uh, 13 years.
0: Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate it.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at deepintheweedspodcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.